0: Good morning. morning. Welcome one and all to Queen Anne Lutheran Church proclaiming the love of God in Christ for every person. Whether you're a first-time visitor, a long-time member, or somewhere in between, we are glad you are here. A few reminders before we begin our service this morning. As always, we invite you first to silence your phones as a gift to yourself and to your neighbor. We ask, secondly, that you remain masked for the duration of the service and any time you spend otherwise indoors to protect your neighbor. In the case of singing, if you have trouble singing with a mask on, that's fine. Uh, Take a break and let the congregation carry you if that's an issue. At the end of today's service, we will conclude with a brief prayer for the annual meeting which will be held here in the sanctuary at approximately 11.45. This will give everyone a break for fellowship and food, which will be available in the breezeway outside. Please note that all food must be consumed outside of the church building, again, uh, for safety reasons. Finally, an audio recording of today's service will be made available online. Uh, We thank our volunteer for helping us, um, Connie, for recording the service. Uh, or if you wish to hear it again uh, or know someone who would. As the author of 1 Timothy claims, following Christ, we hope for the salvation of all people. What then do we mean by salvation? Did Jesus simply come to save our souls? Or does salvation have real-world implications Today we explore once more the political Jesus of Luke's gospel, the one who invites us to work as much for a just and humane world as he does for the salvation of souls in the life of the world to come. As you are able, we invite you at this time, please, to rise as we sing our gathering hymn, which affirms not only Christ's entrance into our human story, but the Christ who brings us life, healing, and freedom. The hymn is Rise, Shine, You People, number 665 in the red hymnal. The Lord be with you. you. Let us pray. Ever living God, increase in us the gifts of faith, hope, and love. Inspire us to share these gifts with others and help us seek your kingdom in everything we do. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated.
1: The first reading is from Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10. God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet and consecrates him in the womb. Jeremiah's task is to preach God's word amid the difficult political realities of his time before the Babylonian exile. He is to make God known not only to Judah, but also to the nations. The first reading is from Jeremiah 1. God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet and consecrates him in the womb. Excuse me. Now, the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord God, Truly, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a boy. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a boy, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and you shall speak whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Now I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to pull down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Word of God, word of life. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 13. Christians in Corinth prided themselves on their spiritual gifts. Paul reminds them that God gives us many gifts through the Holy Spirit. But the purpose behind all of them is love, the kind of love that God showed us in Jesus Christ. A reading from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends, but as for the prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now, we see in the mirror dimly. But then, we will see face to face. Now I know only in part. Then I will know fully. Even as I have been fully known, and now, Faith, hope, and love abide. These three. And the greatest of these is love. Word of God, word of life. Please rise for the gospel.
0: Gospel according to St. Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus began to say to all in the synagogue in Nazareth, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his mouth. They said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, Doubtless, you will quote me to me this proverb, Dr. Cure Yourself, and you will say, do here also in your hometown the things that we have heard you did at Capernaum. And he said, truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. But the truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a severe famine over all the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them except to a widow at Zarephath in Sidon. There were also many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. When they heard this, All in the synagogue were filled with rage. They got up, drove him out of the town, and led him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they might hurl him off the cliff. But he passed through the midst of them and went on his way. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, the source of life, and from Jesus, God's Son, who is the Christ. Amen. So the link was irresistible. Last Sunday, I compared what Jesus said in our reading from Luke's gospel with the outlook of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, whose life the nation had recently commemorated. Both men, I suggested, shared two things in common. They mixed politics with religion, and they paid for it with their lives. According to Luke four eighteen through 19, part of our gospel reading from last week, Jesus begins his public ministry by reading some of the most politically charged words in Scripture— To his fellow Israelites in the synagogue. These words, which Jesus applied to himself, refer to the one who will free the captives and liberate the oppressed. Surely, his listeners must have assumed he was referring to Rome. Who else but Caesar would have been responsible for their oppression? by forcing them to pay exorbitantly high taxes and thus condemning them to lives of poverty and servitude. By the end of the narrative, though, Luke has apparently taken a different path. Instead of blaming Rome for the death of Jesus, he blames the religious authorities of the Jewish people. Pontius Pilate the Roman governor declares Jesus's innocence, as does the Roman centurion at the foot of the cross. Some of you may recall in Matthew and Mark at the foot of the cross, the centurion says, truly this man was God's son. Whereas in Luke with Pilate, he affirms Jesus's innocence. The real animosity therefore, at least Luke seems to imply, exists not between Jesus and Rome, but between Jesus and his fellow Israelites. One we can trace from the crucifixion all the way back to Luke 4, our gospel reading for today. There, Jesus' fellow Israelites chase him out of the synagogue after he says that, like the prophets of old, his own people will reject him and he wasn't sent for them. By the end of the narrative, however, Luke ends up countering not only the religious authorities and the people of Israel, but also, in contrast to what I said a couple moments ago, the political leaders of the day. Luke does this subtly. One Roman Catholic uh, biblical scholar calls this Luke's gentle counter-propaganda. And the reason Luke probably did that was to avoid attracting too much attract. Avoid attracting too much attention to to followers of Jesus who were already being persecuted by Rome. Nevertheless, Luke casts Pilate as a weak administrator who bows to his subjects. He has Jesus speak out against unjust wealth, as well as call for its redistribution in the Lord's Prayer. You may remember this from last week. Forgive us our sins, Jesus says in Luke eleven four, as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. Forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. How could such language be anything but economic and therefore political? Now, in the process of unearthing the political Jesus of Luke's gospel last Sunday, I became increasingly critical of my already least favorite gospel, Matthew, the evangelist who spiritualizes the political weakness uh, or the political uh, reality of Jesus. Let me explain what I mean. When Luke's Jesus blesses the poor and the hungry, telling them they will be filled as a consequence of God's emerging upside-down kingdom. Matthew's Jesus blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not actual food. Notice how he says nothing about their empty bellies, nothing about their material circumstances or quality of life and how it will be changed. Jesus, it would seem, did not come to liberate the oppressed or change the conditions that gave rise to poverty. He simply came to save souls and liberate us from our personal sins, or so Matthew seems to imply. Years ago, Former President George W. Bush implied the same thing while hosting a prayer breakfast at the White House. The breakfast included among its guests Bono, the lead singer of the famous rock band U2. Bono, a Christian, gave a speech where he challenged Bush to forgive the debt impoverished countries across the world owed to the United States. What a real... Concrete gift that would be, Bono concluded. Think of what these nations could do for their own people, how they could address the actual problems of things like hunger if they were freed from the economic burden our country has placed upon them. Of course, a few of you may recall the president's response. Without batting an eye, he replied that in America, That's my impression of him. We don't give with our pocketbooks. We give with our hearts. As you can see, nothing changes when we spiritualize poverty, or in the case of President Bush, generosity. When we help only with our hearts, rather than also with our hands. Or when we offer thoughts and prayers without taking action. The powerful keep their positions of power, the greedy retain their wealth, and the needy continue to go to bed hungry. Luke's Jesus, on the other hand, reminds us that inequality, exploitation, and economic injustice run counter to God's will. The gospel, as King would have it, has political implications. Political implications. Now that said, something about my treatment of Matthew last week did not sit well with me. I felt like maybe, just maybe, I hadn't been fair. After all, I had assumed that while Luke uses the language of debt in the Lord's Prayer, Matthew must, I thought, use the word sin. That's the word we use in our version of the Lord's Prayer for worship. Where else would we have gotten the language for the Lord's Prayer we use in our liturgy? We are Lutherans, after all. We're supposed to be sola scriptura. We cling to what the Bible says. And many of the, much of the language in our, in our liturgy uh, is directly from Scripture. And so I turn to Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer, which most scholars consider to be an elaboration of the shorter version we find in Luke, where Jesus says we should ask God to quote, listen carefully, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Did you hear that? Forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. Wow, maybe, just maybe, I was wrong about Matthew. Here in the Lord's Prayer, at least, he apparently refrains from spiritualizing Jesus' teachings, from defanging his teachings, as it were. Granted, throughout Matthew and Luke, Jesus teaches that we should also forgive others when they sin, But here, here in Matthew, Jesus tells us we should put our money where our mouth is by forgiving those who cannot pay us back as well. In the process, we reconcile ourselves to one another spiritually and economically, and the kingdom of God becomes manifest accordingly. There, I thought, I had just about closed the book on the subject when I looked once more at Matthew, when suddenly it occurred to me how, I wondered, could God literally forgive us our debts? Obviously, God is not a bank or a loan officer. None of us owes God any money, per se. It was then that I found my answer in a footnote at the bottom of the page. It read, Debt's a metaphor for sins. Ah, oh. c eighteen twenty-three to 25. Oh no, I thought to myself. Suddenly everything came crashing down around me. If debt, and this is very important, so listen closely. If debt was simply a metaphor for sin, then the gospel meant nothing when it came to addressing actual economic injustice and the real-world plight of the poor. That is not what Martin Luther King taught, and that is not what I want to hear. I don't know about you, but I want a gospel that makes a difference in the world, not simply one that speaks to my soul, although I do want that too. Tormented, this is the life of a pastor, tormented, I turned as the footnote suggested to Matthew 18, to 23 to 35. It was the parable of the unforgiving servant. Jesus uses the word debt here too. He concludes, however, by stating the meaning of the parable in plain terms. You should quote, "'Forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart,' he says, ah, I was crushed. Everything I had preached last Sunday about the Lord's prayer was wrong. The gospel, it would seem, had no real word consequences. And worse yet, George Bush was right. In the days that followed, I could not resist the urge to explore the matter further. I'm so glad I did. For one thing, I learned Jesus in Matthew is not totally unconcerned with the plight of the poor. As Femi Perkins points out in the HarperCollins Bible Dictionary, in the Roman period, high taxes and the unpredictable variation in crop yields combined to drive the bulk of the peasant population into extreme debt. The vast majority of the population, in other words, existed at subsistence level. Jesus was sensitive to that. In Matthew 5.42, for example, he tells his disciples they must not refuse any who want to borrow from them. That's remarkable. The disciples must not refuse any who want to borrow from them. But what about those who cannot repay their loans? Matthew doesn't really say. What about Luke? He uses the same Greek word for debt that we find in Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. Did he also use it as a metaphor for sins? Or was his Jesus advising the audience to set free those who could not pay back their loans so that they could regain their spiritual and physical well-being and, of course, feed their children. I must say, more torment. I could not find an obvious answer to this question. We know that Matthew's Jesus tells us to ask God to forgive us our debts, which is obviously a metaphor for sin and which suggests that debts in relation to others must likewise be a metaphor for sin. Luke's Jesus, on the other hand, says that while we should ask God to, quote, forgive us our sins, we should simultaneously, quote, forgive everyone indebted to us. Think about that. Forgive everyone indebted to us. Could it be then that by avoiding the use of metaphorical language altogether, God literally forgives us our sins, and we are invited literally to forgive the debts of others. Luke's Jesus actually invites us to take him at his word. The translation certainly supports it. God forgives sins, and we should too. But here we should also forgive those indebted to us, namely those who cannot pay us back due to hardship or scarcity. That's taking Luke literally. And it makes perfect sense given the context in which Jesus lived. Giving or forgiving exclusively from the heart would have done nothing to fill the hungry with good things, as Mary sings about in Luke 1. The kingdom of God would have otherwise meant nothing. The world would remain exactly as it did before. Debts would continue to go unpaid due to excessive taxation, and the hungry would consistently live on the verge of starvation. I had several directions I wanted to take today's message. Paul's affirmation in our second reading that love never ends, even when our talents and abilities fade, even when we descend into cognitive or physical decline, is so assuring. Any Christian who wonders, as I do, about the prospect of seeing relatives or loved ones after they die should cling to it. For love, as the Song of Solomon says, is strong as death. Love, as we heard from our second reading, never ends. Love holds on. That's gospel. So why focus then today on the political Jesus once more? The answer is simple. All of us want to belong to a church, presumably, that makes a difference in the real world. Don't we? In many ways, our annual meeting today is a celebration and confirmation of that. Not only do we learn of the various ministries internal to the congregation and what they accomplished this past year, we also learn about and affirm the ministries that have once again changed the lives of people in the communities we serve. If we only gave with our hearts, none of that would happen or matter. Our mission would be empty. That, to me, illustrates why the language Jesus uses in Luke 4 is so important. He did not merely come to save our souls or change our hearts. He came to change the world, to make it a better place, especially those in need. Last Sunday, I compared what Jesus said in our reading from Luke's gospel with the outlook of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. I saw and still see the difference Jesus and long after him king made in society on a grand scale. At the same time, I see the difference you make, too, as a congregation, and I thank God for it. The world is a better place because of you and because of what you do for this ministry. May you continue Yes, to change hearts through the proclamation of the gospel. But may you continue also with hands, feet to change the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah, indeed. Let us turn now to the Apostles' Creed and confess the words of our faith. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried.
1: The spirit of the Lord is poured out upon us in abundance. So we are bold to pray for the church, the world, and all God has made. Guide your church in the ways of faith, hope, and love. Cultivate ministries and communities of compassion that bear witness to your desire for justice and your enduring presence among us. Lord, in your mercy. Teach us to live in humility on the earth. Curb arrogance that leads to destruction of natural resources and disregard for future generations. Inspire the work of scientists who urge us to live in harmony with your creation. Lord, in your mercy. You are the refuge of all who seek hope and freedom. Accompany immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers who cross borders to find safety and opportunity. Embolden leaders to draft compassionate policies on behalf of migrants and those who assist them. Lord, in your mercy love bears, believes, hopes and endures all things. comfort with your love all who are lonely, fearful or broken-hearted. sustain the hope of all those who suffer in body or spirit. lord, in your mercy. your grace falls upon the young and the old alike. bless the gifts of children in this congregation and in this community. Give us humble hearts to follow their leadership. Inspire us with their laughter, their insight, and their curiosity. Lord, in your mercy. For whom or what else do the people of God pray?
0: God we pray for every person gathered here in particular we pray for the family of Ethel that she may rest in peace and the family be comforted we pray for Mindy we pray for Peter the Moody family Jean Ben Lee the honored Paul family Jim Deb Ken and Ellen Mary Olga Linda Barb Carol Barbara Ruth, Denny, Shayna, Mulugeta, Awatash, Hildy, and Bob. Lord, in your mercy.
1: Hear our prayer. We praise you for those who have gone before us and now rest in peace. Be with us in this life and sustain us in the next with your unbreakable love. Lord, in your mercy. Since we have such great hope in your promises, O God, we lift these and all of our prayers to you in confidence and faith through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.
0: The Lord be with with you. Up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give
2: thanks and
0: It is indeed right, our duty and our joy. THAT WE SHOULD AT ALL TIMES AND IN ALL PLACES GIVE THANKS AND PRAISE TO YOU, ALMIGHTY AND MERCIFUL GOD, THROUGH OUR SAVIOR JESUS CHRIST. BY THE LEADING OF A STAR HE WAS SHOWN FORTH TO ALL NATIONS, in the waters of the Jordan you proclaimed him your beloved Son. And in the miracle of water turned to wine, he revealed your glory. And so with all the choirs of angels, with the church on earth and the hosts of heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn. Lord inspire us to work toward your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors uh, uh, to us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. A little tricky, isn't it? At this time, I invite you to take out your communable if you wish to uh, participate in Holy Communion. All baptized Christians are welcome to uh, to, um, participate. At my direction, then, please receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ. The bread of life, Christ, is among us. This is his body broken for you. This is his blood shed for you. Let us pray. We give you thanks, gracious God, for the love you show us in this meal. Send us to bring good news to a hurting world and to proclaim your favor to all, strengthened with the richness of your grace in your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated for announcements. We are delighted once more to have you here with us this morning for worship. If you are a visitor or relatively new to Queen Anne Lutheran, we invite you to fill out a connect card in the pew rack in front of you. Uh, You can also do that if you wish to receive our emails or newsletter, the latest edition of which is uh, available now, or if you wish me to contact you. So please uh, make use of that if applicable. Uh, Next, I want to thank the members of our finance committee for conducting the forum this morning about uh, the the budget um, and ideas for the coming year. We will hear more from the finance committee at our annual meeting, but it was good to have an opportunity to to get into detailed discussion. This coming week, uh, I will be away. It was not planned, um, but I'll be away uh, for a few days. Um, However, you can still contact me on my phone. Uh, I'm going to be in California with my mother for an oncologist appointment among other things. She's fine, but uh, I'm going to take a few extra days uh, having received approval from the executive committee and personnel, so just be aware of that. I can still easily be reached and during that time I will be working virtually. Our annual meeting today after 10.30 worship uh, will be held here in the sanctuary. You have uh, a number of things. There's a checklist for you to complete um, outside on, the, on one of the tables in the narthex. And I'm told, thanks to Al Shabano, we'll have pizza awaiting you outside uh, after the service. Um, please note once more that you um, may not consume the food uh, in the church uh, due to safety reasons, but nothing is wrong with um, eating outside. So that will be available after, after service. Finally, this coming uh, Wednesday at noon, we have our monthly Bible study. We're reading 2 Peter. It's just three chapters, and our discussion will be led in part by Bob Turner, a retired pastor and member of the church, uh, who has um, really shed a lot of light on the texts we've studied. So uh, please join us if you would like. Are there any other announcements for the good of the congregation? All right, then I invite you, please, to rise for the final blessing. Please receive the benediction. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and grant you peace. Our sending hymn is Go, My Children, With My Blessing, number 543 in the red hymnal. Today, our, annual con- our, our congregation gathers in prayer and hope to begin another year of ministry. We begin with us the memory of a year like no other, even as we move into a future that we cannot yet imagine. Yet even now, as in every age, God is our refuge and strength. In times of plenty and want, in times of conflict and peace, in times of growing and pruning, we remember. Let us pray. Grace our meeting, O God, with the gift of your Holy Spirit, the Spirit who has guided the church from the beginning, the Spirit of our risen Lord Jesus, the Spirit who sends us as healers and restorers of your beloved world. You are the source of our life together. And fill us with hope for the possibilities that lie ahead. You are the rock and the cornerstone. Go in peace, serve the Lord. Thank you.